Hi, I'm Stella Wen. I'm the CEO of Dazzle Rocks, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with the Rovio podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis.、Uh, in today's episode, we talk to Stella Wen. She's the CEO and founder of a Finnish mobile developer called Dazzle Rocks X Rovio, which is kind of neat.、Uh, they're developing a game called Dazzle Rocks that's a female friendly, mobile first, social sandbox MMO. In this interview, we talk with Stella about how her team and she think about trends, the trends that are on the rise, that are ascending in mobile and in gaming in general, how they use those trends to help set and define the strategy for their product and for their company. We talk about social, social gaming, the rise of social gaming in the sort of MMO era, the sort of maybe fall of social gaming and maybe the ascension of social networks. And perhaps now the, the even faster ascension of these persistent social worlds, and why these, this next generation of social MMO games represents such a huge opportunity in terms of gaming and in terms of entertainment and, and perhaps in terms of society as a whole.、Uh, it was a fascinating interview. I learned a ton. I hope you dig it. Hi, Stella. Nice、Hi. to talk to you again. Thanks、yes. for being on the podcast. Nice to meet you. I still love your、uh, wall color, and there is another fox in behind you.、Yes. It's, it's funny. Some people, some people laugh at the wall color. They think it's like totally horrible, and, and some people love they it. They don't have、so、taste. They don't understand. They have no taste. There we go. They don't have taste. I'm trying to mix it up a little bit with a, a, you know, a little, bit more, little bit more light, a little bit more、yeah. color. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Almost feel like going to the spa, so it's good vibe. Yeah, very, <laughs> it's very zen. That's right. Yeah. I actually made this. I made that years ago when I, back when I used to do some woodworking. So it's, it's like the one thing that I kept from that previous life. <laughs> okay. So I hope no one criticized that life. Yeah. There we go. Don't say mean things about my <laughs> furniture making.、Um, uh, well, can you start by introducing yourself?、Um, mm. Maybe explain a little bit about、uh, your career trajectory. Obviously, there's an interesting Rovio overlap there.、Yeah. And then maybe talk a little bit about. Kind of dazzle rocks and what made you start it and that kind of stuff. Well, now when I think about it, it has been 10 years I've been、uh, in the game industry. It's time really fly. And actually, really、um, before, before the,、uh, coming to Rovio, my time was actually in advertising. I was、mm-hmm. working in、uh, New York City、uh, beforehand. So, a long story short, so I joined Rovio when Rovio was around、uh, 50 to 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember the moment I signed, there was like 50, but the moment the day I joined, because I waited for my visa, I think it was around 100 people. Wow, it was a fast、and、growing company. Really fast、then. growing. I think it was 2011 at that time. So I basically stayed there for like three,、uh, three years and, uh, uh, we were running like R&D. So basically、mm-hmm. the, 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 the concept at that time, because at that time,、uh, the whole app store, Apple, the ecosystem just started 2008. So a lot of game companies trying to figure out what they want to do. And Rovio was all of a sudden kind of the angry bird,、uh, take off quite、uh, tremendous. And there's still un- a lot of untapped、uh, opportunity. Like, how do you play the, the game on the iPad, play the game with a TV, a location base? So basically our team was doing a lot of innovations,、um, mm-hmm. thinking about the untapped opportunity and doing from basically we always like to call zero to one. Like、mm-hmm. start from nothing and doing something. 
and then and also take that to the market. So our experience in Rovio was really interesting. So we we're growing with the company. So at mm-hmm. that time, uh, we basically, I probably grow also with a zero legal team to their some legal, uh, like a big legal team. So we were on the negotiation table, R&D, okay. and also quite many different fronts. So uh, Jonas and I, so I was a pro, uh, PM, um, product manager. Jonas was a tech and project lead. Great. Um, so that's where we met. Um, so and Jonas he's was, a co-founder of He's Dazzle my Labs? co-founder. Yeah, okay, he's excellent. my co-founder. And um, it was interesting because the, he left a bit earlier than, than me uh, to, uh, in Rovio. So uh, when he, uh, after he left, he actually showed me a prototype when I was still in Rovio. Um, we are quite an entrepreneur mindset. So the reason we joined Rovio was so we were pitching to Rovio at that time that for some project. And they said that if you want to be entrepreneur, why don't be entrepreneur in-house? So right. that's how we joined at that time. And when we start, uh, the comp- uh, when, when Jonas left, he actually showed me a prototype. And it was really interesting of the runner game. And at that time, Cookie Run was very popular, like years mm-hmm. ago. Now you know, many years ago. So he showed like a procedure generator with a very ugly box and the eyes mm-hmm. is poking outside the, the box. So um, we were just, I was joking with him, this looks so ugly. And then <laughs> that's, um, let's start a company we never, never did. And so that's where we started. And um, when we started, there was a kind of, um, Thinking behind that, we want to look into the untapped area. I think that yeah. has always been our ambitious and that's also been our kind of uh, a strength at looking mm-hmm. at what's in the future. And we feel that it's really more, it's much more fun to puzzling what happened in the future. Sure. So at that time, there were actually three prototypes in our starting area, starting game. So uh, we did one procedure journey runner. And then later on, there was one game it's very similar to a simplified version of Animal Crossing. Of, okay. uh, and then that we call that kind of like social MMO at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little bit history. So as a company right now, our uh, statement is a uh, uh, social sandbox uh, for social generations. So we want to tackle thing, uh, what's a social MMO uh, in the sandbox world, but we also want to make sure that we are tagging into the social generations. Right. So that's basically like our vision statement. Uh, when you work on the project. Yeah. That's cool. And how do you define social generation? This is a very interesting topic. We actually did a workshop. Um, and then, you know, our team is probably uh, on the, like a 90, 80 something, 90, 70 something, 80 something, also 1990. We recently have a 2000. I start to feel getting older when I see an application for 2000. Yeah. You've got, you've got so, some babies with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we, uh, the interesting thing, if you ask what's social generation, uh, most people would deny I'm not a social person, mm-hmm. especially if you ask in Scandinavia. But if you ask about what do they do on Discord, what do they do on Instagram, what do they do on TikTok, uh, they're definitely on the social generation. Mm-hmm. So the way we define social generation is the generation that uh, grow through, for example, my team thing, I'm a Facebook user, I'm like old mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. So growing through the uh, Facebook time where you network with your friends and then you also gradually network with the massive market um getting information from the uh, like outside world and also interact with other people we do see a lot of that behavior considered to be a social generation so interesting so in terms of ages it's it's kind of like the millennial gen z probably like there's a, a there's probably a strong over indexing mm-hmm. there yeah but also on the other hand 
you will find a lot of different countries, like a 40-year-old, 50-year-old mom, are very social. If you look mm-hmm. at YouTuber, look mm-hmm. at the uh, like a Snapchat, it's different age group. So I think social generation is a behavior who is actually very adopted to this kind of network on social network applications. Yep. So I do see it's more a behavior rather than the age and gender. Age. Or, I think that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's it. It's the generation that's not defined by age, <laughs> but no, is in, no, instead no. defined by sort of behaviors and usage patterns. Yes, definitely. And I think that it's it's too hard to define a behavior in the age group because now the internet are internet are everywhere. It's yeah. more how adaptive you are to yeah. to that yeah. sector. Yeah. So um Dazzle Rocks is five or six years old as a company. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Yes. And okay. you raised some money last year or two years ago? Yes, right. la, uh, 2020. Yes. 2020. Uh, actually, we raised uh, on a really romantic day, February 14th. Oh, last lovely. year. That's my, yeah. my son's birthday. Okay, perfect. Yes. <laughs> a, an important day. Yes, very important day. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, can you just talk a little bit about um, your thoughts mm-hmm. regarding? the role of VC versus the typical old, maybe old school publisher, right? Mm. And and is there a sort of rise in VC funded games? And maybe mm. do you see a sort of maybe fall in publisher backed games? Is mm. there, is there a shift in terms of funding away from publishers towards VCs? Is there a particular mm. type of game that maybe is more VC friendly? I just, as someone who went through the process of choosing mm-hmm. VC backing rather than a publisher partnership, I'm curious your thoughts about kind of why you took that path. Well, I think I think there's three factors. One is actually a timeline, a time a period. For example, this one, the past one year, we, we have seen the most acquisition in game industry and most mm-hmm. uh, like investments. But I remember when we closed the early round in 2015, our first investor, Initial Capital, told us that we are half a half year and one uh, year late because that time the VC market was a very like a low point at that time yeah, to invest in game. Absolutely. So definitely the, it, it kind of tied into the wave of the industry. And I do think the pandemic bring a lot of uh, kind of new generation and also Fortnite, uh, Roblox gave a lot of new thoughts what the future could be. But in terms of choosing like a publisher or like a, a VC, I think there's few perspective and I, I, it might be subjective, but this is my personal view. I do think absolutely. that... I do think traditional publisher, they need to have a predictive model of how this game is going to perform. Um, basically, they will look at the top chart and their experience to actually find the right game. So taking the risk of doing something a little bit blue ocean, a little bit different, is not the typical forte for uh, a publisher. In mm-hmm. terms, for example, when we, uh, two and a half years ago, when we pitched uh, Social MMO, it was a very new concept uh, for a lot of people. Most people think that MMO on mobile doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But when uh, Fortnite happened, you have to change a lot of perspective. So I do think uh, publisher, their business model is actually able to predict their investment on user acquisition. So they do need to have a predicted like LTV model to actually quantify. Yep. But VC can take more risk. And also VC is looking for the untapped uh, opportunity. Not all the VC is doing that, but Basically, that's kind of generalized view of that. Great. And yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. Just use an acronym in there, use LTV, just so everyone knows lifetime value, right? That's what 
Yeah. I, the number of acronyms that get dropped on this podcast are just insane. So every time I hear an acronym, I, I, I want to try and just, um, you know, make it concrete because we'll probably use it multiple times moving forward. But I, I want to add one more thing about the VC and, and also publisher. I do think the way your team structure will be very different. Okay. Um, I think that when you're a publisher structured team, you need to have a lot more in external bound because there's a lot of integration to some publisher require you to integrate to their UA platform. Of course. So I do think the structure of the team will be quite a different type of That's team. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... You guys are uh, mobile focused, mobile first. We're mobile um, first. You've been in yeah. mobile for what? Almost ten years, right? Yes. Yes. Um, can you talk about your perception of mm. how the mobile gaming space has evolved over the last decade? Right. We go back mm. ten years ago. It's more or less the launch of Angry Birds. It's kind mm -hmm. of, in some ways, the birth of touchscreen mm -hmm. gaming, and. A lot has evolved in the last 10 years. Yeah. What, what do you think are the kind of like the major changes that caught your attention and, and the major things that have shifted? I think there's three things. And that's also where our strategic pillar is following. So one okay. of the, the first thing is East and West. The second thing is female friendly. The third one is actually social. Um, so if we think from the uh, East and West, I, re I think a lot of top-crossing game right now, they also adopt certain version from Japanese game or chi Chinese games. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Asian games also adopt the Western game. We see a lot of adaptation in the past few years, and we see things are influenced, especially the meta game loop, especially the user experiences are yeah. influencing each other. Um, so I think definitely that it used to be, 10 years ago used to be a very unique, specific market. Like I, I usually talk to my ex-colleague in Rovio that Asia is not one continent, it's lots of different countries. East Asia also have different fortes. So Absolutely. basically uh, I do see now you see more convergence, uh, more fluent to the market, still really country specific, but a lot more adaptation, people learning from each other. And I think the second point is more about the female uh, gamer. I remember uh, many years ago, there's one discussion that if you ask a female, if you're a gamer, they would always say, no, we're not. That's right. But a lot of the time, they invest in a Candy Crush simulation title is insane. But the gamer uh, interpretation is very different from the legacy term. So basically what happened is I do think female gamers is a lot more um, Def, uh, both on the return user and also spending user, a quite big market uh, for. And the interesting is not many games are tailor-made for female-friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's still the opportunity could grow. Uh, the third one is actually social gaming. I think years ago, social gaming meaning that you connect with the Facebook. Uh, you have this ranking system, you have the guilt, and you have this kind of uh, react actions. But actually, uh, this couple of years of social gaming, it's like why people talk about metaverse. It's a whole universe of how you actually interact and socialize. You build a kind of a second life mm -hmm. on the mobile space or on different consoles. So I do think social sector is also growing a lot. Um, and then there will be a lot of recipe underneath the social sector. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so... You might have sort of already answered this next question. I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask it anyways, and mm -hmm. if it doesn't bear fruit, maybe we just cut it. In. But, <laughs> no but let, let's see. Yeah. So you obviously have a vision 
for mm-hmm. how you think those three trends are going to converge. Yep. It's the product you're building and the company that you're running. Um, can you try and paint a picture for what you think it's going to feel like to be mm-hmm. a gamer in five, three to five years? Mm-hmm. So w- what kinds of things mm-hmm. am I going to be playing Am, how is my gaming time going to be different in three to five years because of either the trends you've just highlighted or mm-hmm. other, you know, ascending trends? Well, that's a tough question, but I, I was trying to decode it. Uh, you're asking a really good question here. So I do think that one of the key things oriented for what we do, so our company's uh, social sandbox. So. Mm-hmm. We're not doing like a, a, like RPG kind of MMO. We're doing more a sandbox MMO. So what we are presenting, the opportunity here is actually the open world that people can build and socialize um, together. So basically the reason we're starting from mobile, because most of the sandbox MMO, they're starting from PC or console. Right. So the, the basically the, the kind of approach to the market um, is much more massive and also female friendly. So the idea is that people spend a little bit less time to think about how to do the coding, how to do kind of scripting to be the sandbox, like figure things out, but more on creating modular world and also socializing together. So one of the key things for when I see in the future that the game start to not, this is just kind of our kind of our prediction for future that game is not something that mm-hmm. I feel that I'm, I want to play game. Game might be something that, hey, I would like to invite my friend to this social, uh, to this virtual space. Uh, so right. for example, how do we co-party, co-create things together? How do we socialize together? Uh, maybe one day the Zoom channel, it's not really just, you know, seeing your face and chat. Maybe we have open space that you create. You can yeah. have after party or something uh, with other people. So it's a lot more uh, lifestyle entertainment rather than just a segment of uh, gaming. So that's where we see it would kind of evolve and change in the long term. Okay. In terms of like market, um, where people are going with um, what you said about how we incorporate female or or east and west, I do think that the socializing, so, uh, social memo should be something that everybody can play. It's just a level of how much they engage. So when we build kind of sandbox MMO on starting from mobile, we basically basically give us the most difficult task. How do we make this more intuitive? How do we make this more easy? How do we make this people can focus on fun creation and socializing? And that opened a lot of doors to massive market for female, but also thinking about the meta game loop and the style mm-hmm. of the game should be, I always like to use Nintendo as example. I think Nintendo is a great example that it does leave breathing between East and West and it's like kind of the stylized and cute and really kind of joyful environment that you're building for that. Yeah. I don't sure. know if I answered your okay. question, but I'm... No, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, but you, you, so you said a lot of things in there. You, you talked about socializing, obviously. Mm-hmm. You talked about creating. Yeah. You talked about a more mass market experience, mm-hmm. a wider audience. Um sort of more accessible, which I think is sort of born of maybe that mobile first kind of mentality. So mm-hmm. maybe less focus on kind of menus and, and detailed stats and a little mm-hmm. bit more on kind of expressiveness and sort of fluidity of controls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it, it, 
And, and you also talked in, in your previous answer about kind of like the merging of East versus West and the kind of like growing melting pot, right, of gamers. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, no, it's not just more age groups, but it's more nationalities. It's, and, and there is that kind of convergence happening. Um, but so central to all of that, I think, mm-hmm. is, you know, really what I hear is this philosophy of yours that games really have the potential to be the, the predominant digital social space. Yes. Is, 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 do you agree? I definitely agree on okay. that. And I still think we're very early on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Like why, I mean, why, <laughs> why can a game like Dazzle Rocks mm-hmm. be a better social space for Gen Z or the social generation than, say, Facebook? Well, I think if you look at Facebook, it's a little bit on, uh, like, it's kind of, uh, you're not in the same time, real time, discussing with each other. It's still kind of, you show something, people comment, and there's a back and forth. Yeah, very asynchronous. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. So it's kind of back and forth, like, uh, experience. But what the game offer, especially on a real-time MMO, uh, uh, space, you can offer real-time experience. We always talk about this uh, network effect. So um, I think in, if we look at earlier time, a lot of games, they said that if you make friends, we give you this chance. If you invite people from Facebook, we give you this gift. But you kind of force the relationship building. But when you are actually in the same social space, building the world together, you have a lot of uh, dynamic between each other. You have a lot of um, uh, like social dynamic because everybody's individual differently. Mm-hmm. So what we think is uh, the gaming is going to be more like for, for Dazzle Rise, more going to be a social gaming platform. We provide different tools for people to uh, be a better creator, be a better socializer, but how they use this tool, what's the dynamic between them is making that uh, multiply fun. Um, so we do think the social network, uh, the, the network effect inside the game is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's an analyst possibility. Let's say some company, they're building more, uh, let's say more like RPG type of MMO. The dynamics are also different. Absolutely. But, yeah. So, but definitely that in the, the game sector has a lot more entertaining lifestyle and how people interact with each other in real time. Uh, so I think that's probably one of the reasons that you can see Snapchat is also tackling the, the game uh, platform and also mm-hmm. thinking about how do they gamify their platform mm-hmm. uh, because it's much more like entertaining rather than information back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I mean, one benefit of mm-hmm. asynchronous like Facebook, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Is the information can be because it's centralized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier to, um, audit whether or not they choose to audit it or not is a different question Mm -hmm. right but facebook clearly has the potential to say this is misinformation this is (laughs) this is post-truth right they they can if they want to and Mm -hmm. of course they can do all sorts of uh redactions and you know simply just blocking posts that they've you know deemed are hate speech or whatnot so i mean that's not to say that toxicity isn't a problem on Facebook, but of course, how much of a problem it is, mm-hmm. is at least partially based off of 
corporate decisions because tech, from yeah. a technology point of view, there's lots of technology in play to sort of help manage asynchronous toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about some of the challenges of managing toxic behavior mm-hmm. in a real time space? Um, how do you think about how do you think about that? Like the, the more real time it is, the more social it is, the yeah. more opportunities there are for toxicity to mm-hmm. kind of get through. Yeah, in, in our game, because our game is quite like uh, intuitive with the hand, so you can use your hand to draw kind of the, the the ground block, kind of decorate the space. So we definitely have the conversation that what if people draw some inappropriate things? I, I think I think doesn't matter as async or synchronized type of game, uh, online game and and or Facebook kind of this back and forth. You always will face this toxicity. But I think it's more the corporate, like you said, the value of corporation, a lot value of a company. So I do think that there's no perfect solution to block everything. But I think as a company, we do take, like, for example, when we choose the features, we ask ourselves at right this moment how much uh, toxicity we can handle. We focus mm-hmm. on, so for example, we don't do private chat in the first starting. We do very limited words because we want to make sure that when the feature of social scaling, we also build the tool to actually able to keep up to that. So I think that also goes to the company value. Like, what does the company believe and what kind of decision they would want to make? Because tech is always a simple solution. It's just more about the choice. Yeah. Okay. okay. And to, to sum up with that, it's almost impossible to fix it. But as long as people, as long as we kind of focus on this, and this is an important thing, and I think eventually this will gradually be fixed. Yeah. Okay. And MMOs are not necessarily new to gaming. I mean, I grew up playing mm. MMOs, like playing Ultima Online from the beta and EverQuest mm. and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it felt like MMOs sort of had a bit of a heyday and maybe mm. they faded a little bit. And mm-hmm. now maybe they're kind of a bit on an ascension, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly multiple MMOs in development right now. Um, mm-hmm. we, we talked about a, a, another MMO, uh, mm-hmm. Raf Coster is working on, right? <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, the social MMO is, is, mm-hmm. is sort of, uh, uh, I guess maybe on the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think something happened to make gamers somehow more social today than they were back in the World of Warcraft or Ultima Online days? Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is, why is there this trend back towards MMOs mm-hmm. and in particular social MMOs? What's happened to mm-hmm. suddenly make us think we need, we need to bring MMOs back, mm-hmm. even though they were a thing that's sort of slightly faded? Yeah, um, it's interesting because when you ask Warcraft or World Warcraft player, they still think it's a very social game. Absolutely. And so, but of course, their core uh, like goal, common goal as a team is different. So, for example, uh, a couple of our team they still have weekly play Warcraft and and you know mm. like playing together. And I think the difference, the shift, different is. Um, I think the social layers in the MMO is always there. It's just the social mm-hmm. part was much more in the lobby and then, you know, and kind yeah. of uh, around it, not as a center. So I think what it changed is a couple of things changed. So if you think from uh, PC moved to the mobile, there was a kind mm-hmm. of kind of growing of how the mobile used to think multiple yeah. online and 
MMO on mobile is impossible. Form nine mm-hmm. make a different uh, theory. The other thing is also what I what we talked about earlier: the social network have like TikTok and Snapchat that everything just kind of changed the behavior of how people actually yep. look at the online presence. So that's interesting. Yeah. So basically. Because Warcraft so, was for- so the current batch of MMOs owe something to the rise of the social networks yes. in between World of Warcraft and today. Oh, yeah. it's very interesting. So oh. if you think that Warcraft people are building a virtual identity, right? And uh, mm-hmm. then so Facebook, you of course people have like different identity, but mostly it's about their, their starting point was a college student having, yes. you know. But if you yeah. look at TikTok and everything, it's really about influencer how people mm-hmm. want to build this uh, reputation and this kind of social network. So that really changed how people think, again, what I want to build is a virtual identity. So I do think that it's just a revolution from device and also the social network and kind of the push to more like a social generation behavior. And mm-hmm. that kind of simulate, of course, the current technology, Apple release like new device every year, it really mm-hmm. pushed the possibility to do something uh, mm-hmm. greater, something more higher. And so I think there's just multiple track from uh, the generation grow and social network and also device enability to yeah, get to that stage. Yeah. 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 And I wonder, is there something also generational. And again, I I don't necessarily mean age, but I mean, as you sort of defined it, like social Mm -hmm. generation, whereby it felt to me like there was a time when people intentionally kept their online persona Mm -hmm. and their online brand separate Separate. from their real life. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, like when I think about that, that feels very Instagram-y, right? Like Instagram, you highlight your best life. You know, all your pictures are carefully curated. You're always smiling. You're always, you know, the best angles. You're always sucking in your stomach. And it's like, it's really kind of like a facade of the truth. I mean, this is a generalization, of course. Mm -hmm. And then there seems to have been some trend towards authenticity, right? We hear Mm -hmm. that a lot. And the idea that your digital brand, your digital self is more a truthful representation and more closely aligned with your real self. Where I see that manifesting, and I guess this is the question I have for you, is do Mm. you agree and is this relevant for you? Mm. Is that kids today, like Gen Z, Mm. and I know this anecdotally, many Mm. of them will happily forego real life things Mm -hmm. in order to develop their digital self. If you give them $20 and you say you can either buy a junky pair of shoes mm-hmm. or you can buy a pair of premium Nike kicks for your, you know, whatever, your hypothetical Dazzle Rocks character, mm-hmm. a lot of them might say, yeah, forget those junky dollar store, you know, $20 shoes. That's not a, that's not a real pair of Nike Air or whatever. I'm going to mm-hmm. go for the digital representation. I'm going to develop my digital self at the expense mm-hmm. of my physical self. Whereas I think if you go back one generation, right, if you go back to, you know, early millennials, it was probably the other way around. The idea of prioritizing your digital self Mm -hmm. probably didn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people. So does that statement ring true with you? Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely we can see the trend going on on that. So for example, that when we actually build this persona for social generation, I actually picked like 
discuss with our team because we are all represent different, different culture, different age, mm-hmm. different behavior. Um, the way I use Instagram is like a, a more real-time Pinterest. Okay. Um, the way my team, some of them use Instagram is identity building. Okay. Um, the way I use Facebook, they call me like old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. They are on more Snap and other things. So I do think that people are... They do spend a lot more. I think that also goes to what we were talking about, revolution of the apps. Because, for example, that uh, it used to be you can change filter, mm-hmm. but now people will spend tremendous money to change this uh, a color filter for your photo. And then you also add this kind of emoji. You also add more things. So mm-hmm. this become the, the kind of how the social network uh, service, uh, they, they kind of stimulate this behavior that the social identity is also worth for you to actually invest. Yeah. Mm. So that kind of uh, make the game industry have opened up a lot more how we think about the virtual identity. Uh, It is true. Some generation, they are of the virtual identity. It's where they build their their kind of presence. But some people, they actually build a completely different one. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the social kind of the dynamic of that, the beauty of that, you will find different type of a persona. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's yeah and your yeah. point there is really interesting that it doesn't mean that your digital identity has to mirror your real identity. I think that's a freedom that a lot of people appreciate. And, yeah. you know, I had a conversation with a, a, a guy named Timo who runs Wolf 3D, which is a sort of mm-hmm. virtual avatar company. Yeah, I know company. the company. Yeah, yeah and, and he and I were playing with this and exploring it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about how for some people, you know, the, their virtual identity is is a tool to learn things about themselves, right? They can, yeah. they learn about their sexual orientation. They learn mm-hmm. about their, uh, you know, how, whether they're uh, outgoing or ingoing, are they extroverted, are they introverted? They, they, mm-hmm. they, they help. It's like they can role play an identity online mm-hmm. and see how it fits and then basically adopt that identity in real life if it fits properly. And it's in some ways a sort of lower risk way to explore mm-hmm. some of these elements of their personality that they haven't quite quis- crystallized. I really like the, the the terminology, and also, of, of course, this is the old game, second life. Mm-hmm. I think I think if everybody have a second chance mm-hmm. to do something, um, it's a it's a very kind of interesting way that you imagine exactly the, the you, but you tweak few things, or it's completely different you, or mm-hmm. is it something that. Uh, emotional expression or something. So I do think gaming and also this virtual space uh, provide a lot of opportunity, provide mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity to build more narrative in your life, build more yep. kind of fun stuff in your life. Yeah. 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 There's, I just read this interesting article. Um, someone was breaking down, you know, Ready Player One, right? And kind oh, yeah. of like what for mm-hmm. them was the most important line in Ready Player One. I'm going to butcher the quote, but the gist of it mm-hmm. is, you know, you come to Oasis for who you can mm-hmm. be, but you mm-hmm. stay for what you can do. That's mm-hmm. the gist of it, right? And yeah. I feel like that's in some ways a summary of everything that we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, social networks, mm-hmm. Facebooks allowed you to play with who you can be, right? Yeah. Video games allow you to play with who you want to be. And then there's a significant increase in terms of what you can do. And actually, if you think from that perspective, the most interesting thing is a um, game. It's a living, continual living presence, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of a persistent presence. What it means is uh, what you can be, what you want to be, it's also being part of dynamic and what happened in the social network. So it's, right. not, it's not a static image you 
you have to yeah. go back to edit. It's a kind of growing and living things. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the value of the evolution of the persistent world and that feeling mm-hmm. that you're shaping it uh, probably is a significant dopamine driver for people. Yes. I would imagine that expectation of like, oh, I wonder what, wonder what happened to the plants that I, the seeds that I planted or the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever boulder that I created and, and then yeah. logging in and seeing, oh my God, they turned into trees or whatever. There's, there's probably lots of dopamine hits there in the same way as getting mm-hmm. likes on Facebook and that kind of thing. Yeah, I can add a funny thing is that we, our game is a kind of a certain feature of communication is during early development, but we see some test player, mm-hmm. they find a very interesting way to, to discuss with each other. Some people was asking how they build certain things that they, they couldn't figure out. So they were just circling around the things they want to know and mm-hmm. then put a question mark. And the <laughs> other person actually get it. So take this person to where they can buy the blueprints. Mm-hmm. So I do think that people always find a way to, find a way. <laughs> <laughs> to, to communicate. So, so um, Because I'm actually a bilingual person. So mm-hmm. I remember the time when I was speaking different language and I can... I need to observe what they mean um, right. to actually do a guessing. So I do think that also work is this kind of, like you said, that that's persistent and mm-hmm. there's dynamic of the player. Yeah. Um, can we talk just a second about competition? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I get the sense that competition is not necessarily front and center in Dazzle Rocks, although mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I obviously haven't played it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think games can do competition and social really well or do you have mm. to choose one over the other yeah i was uh w- when i was reading that question um i have one this kind of uh, pop up in my mind i was thinking about among us okay uh, um the reason i thought about it was uh, most people might think it's a competition competitive mm-hmm. game for me it's a little bit collaborative and competitive mm-hmm. uh, and and this is just my own personal view but because Basically, the whole game was actually figure out who is that imposter, mm-hmm. right? And the thing is, um, I can start seeing people when they play, they are doing this profile of the people who is their enemy, who is their, might be allies. So you almost feel like people are actually, uh, even though it's a competitive game as a result, but the journey of that, it's like sometimes you're my enemy, so sometimes you're my ally. So that kind of vibe, it's quite interesting. Um if you think from competitive, I do think that right now you will see, I, I know a couple of studios, they're doing kind of uh, first-person shooter, mm-hmm. like team-based and mm-hmm. in the uh, open area. And I think uh, Fortnite was actually a good example as well. Sure. I do think that space uh, still has a lot of room to grow. Okay. Um, for example, that I always talk to our team that maybe in a really long future, if we want to build an MMO, but I don't want to build like a bloody a fighting game, mm-hmm. let's do something about Splatoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then, Splatoon is a great, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Splatoon is a great, great kind of, uh, because it's not, it's both funny and, you know, um, both very uh, like uh, competitive, but in a very relaxing uh, and joyful way. So I do think that space have a lot of room to okay. to discover. Right. It's, no, I, 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 I think the whole, yeah. No, I think that's really important. And you've definitely brought up games that are competitive and yet mm-hmm. highly social experiences as well. <clears throat> I mean, I do think there are some people who, you know, might sort of argue that um, by definition, you know, mm-hmm. the, the intense competition 
can lead to increased toxic behavior, right? Because your Mm. blood's boiling, right? So it might start out social and then kind Mm -hmm. of devolve into just a cesspool Mm -hmm. of toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I I don't know this for a fact, but my guess Mm -hmm. would be that if you were to track toxicity in Fortnite, you probably Mm -hmm. have, you know, more friendly discussions in the lobby, right? And mm-hmm. then as the intensity of the match ratchets, ratchets, ratchets up, right? And as the mm-hmm. walls close in, that's probably where you see the increase in toxic be, would be my guess. And then mm-hmm. in the post-match, probably everyone returns to a more sort of civil discourse. <laughs> I would imagine yeah. that there might be some correlation between um, competition or, or, or sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, the stakes and how civil people are to each other. Actually, this is a very interesting topic because uh, we actually have an internal conversation about this. So our world is basically you collect resource and then you build kind of modular block. The thing is uh, the whole world, the resource is also limited and there's mm-hmm. time space. So they're slightly competitive, mm-hmm. but it's not a direct, like it's not always direct competitive because the reason that we talk about the boundary because the game is more kind of creator focus. Mm-hmm. So we definitely, it's not about the winning condition type of game. Um, but if you, everything's so harmony, there's no drama. That's right. There's no there's little be some bit. Tension. Yeah. It, ha- you know, it has to be some tension, whether that tension is direct competitive or something, but it has to have different emotion. Otherwise it's not a invested game from an emotion okay. perspective. Yeah. Cool. And I guess just playing off of that, um, you know, whatever Fortnite or Call of Duty Mm -hmm. example. So this is a generalization. I'm going to say it. You can disagree. Yeah. My stance is that you don't see too many casual players Mm -hmm. crossing over into Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if, if. You cut your teeth on, you know, whatever, Matchington Mansion or Mm -hmm. uh, Candy Crush. Um, You know, the transition into, Mm -hmm. you know, a competitive Call of Duty match might just be too jarring. And so I wouldn't imagine Mm -hmm. there's a huge crossover there. My question for you is, do you Mm -hmm. think the opposite is true? Do you think Call of Duty players come Mm -hmm. to Animal Crossing or hypothetically Dazzle Rocks Mm -hmm. in larger numbers um, or is it sort of like ne'er the two shall meet? Like either you're casual, mass market, mm-hmm. or you're hardcore, and there's mm-hmm. always going to be a wall in between. Well, I always have a theory that if people can be so black and white distinguished, then you know uh, it's not too hard to build a game. But I, my perspective, first of all, I've tried to play Call of Duty with my team. I didn't mm-hmm. know how I die. I'm just like I die how, and then. Yeah. But our someone, team was someone really good. Me. Yeah, yeah, someone showed me. But what's interesting because uh, uh, sometimes our team bring uh, like similar kind of modular house block or uh, casual games that they saw on Discord or Twitch. And, and I was like, how do you guys get to know this uh, reference again? They said, well, some streamer, they play like very hardcore title. When mm-hmm. they take a break, they take, they play something very casual. Mm-hmm. They play something like Animal Crossing, they play something like uh, Harvest Moon and like, they, it's kind of, they can cross. Mm-hmm. But I do think from more uh, massive market, female friendly to cross that hardcore, that's a harder part. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I do think that the the hardcore game is more leaning toward the definition of a gamer. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, like the traditional definition of a gamer, but right now it's a bit different. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so I thought it would be fun to maybe sort of close out the conversation mm-hmm. about anything specifically about the game you're, you're making, Dazzle Rocks, that you want to talk about. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll just highlight that my understanding is that you guys have cross-platform aspirations, which I think is yep. cool. And so, you know, regardless of how you answer this next question, I will then take the conversation into that. Okay. <laughs> but if there's yeah. anything else you want to set up about what mm. Dazzle Rocks is uh, before we talk about the cross-platform, now would be a great time to do that. Sure, sure. Um, I think I uh, I have always been like Animal Crossing player. Yes. Um, so when when Animal Crossing comes to the console, the latest version, I was a little bit thinking that we're still missing a lot of social. It yes. just always feel Nintendo to do things well, but they still feel like last generation. So there's something it's missing. They're socially part. hesitant for sure. Yeah, socially hesitant. That's a great word. And and also, I was um, I, I kind of really intrigued by how Minecraft and Roblox give player love user generated power. Mm-hmm. Then I, we look kind of looking to the market that we don't see anything that can enable the massive market that can give a lot of creative freedom, not just placement of the house and decorate things, but give a lot of creative freedom to, for player, but have the social layer. Mm-hmm. So we that's why we have the thesis that the social sandbox uh, for creative community. How do we actually, people can be anywhere, bus and any places, they can actually craft the item and build a world, massive world, and they can chat and also socialize with other people. So basically that's uh, kind of our core vision. Um, what we want to make sure we do is uh, we want to actually illuminate the the kind of learning curve. So I mentioned to you that we're targeting mobile, which means the massive market, mm-hmm. also a lot more female-friendly opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that the intuitive experience and people can actually just focus on being creator. And we definitely can see there will be a lot of influencer. There will be a lot of people building their kind of area, but also because the game is highly modular, highly personalized. So you can have, for example, your fox behind or like the lamp you build, you mm-hmm. can build a digital version. And your own inventory. And that would be a very interesting for people to actually discover different content and also different creation play together. And so our kind of long-term goal is to ensuring that this game will become more social gaming platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of provide the, the creator tool, the socializing tool. So not only you can be, build a highly customized world, you can also build a highly playable world. So anything interactive, like you want to place there. So it's more like thinking like Lego, but digital version, um, simple. Mm, very yeah. cool. And uh, so I'm trying to put myself in that world, trying to imagine myself playing that game. I assume, you know, I can build a thing. Let's say I decide to build a house or I decide to build a tower or I decide to build a gigantic statue of a cat. Mm. Uh, this is an MMO. This is a persistent world. You can come over and say, I want to work on that cat too? Um, Yes. So basically you can think about this MMO's open, huge uh, uh, real estate market. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of land and there's a lot of different places. A player will be given like a free plot, but -hmm. they can expand, they can move, they can also build an area with other people. Um, Because the world is infinite, so you can also have private island. Like for Finnish people, they like to have a house in the city center, cottage mm-hmm. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The same concept you can build in a game that I have my own persistent where my close friend visit, but I have an open party area, which I build, destroy, and then continue. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so there's the, there's the mosh pit, the free-for-all, where anyone can come in and contribute, but you can also have your isolated place where what yeah. the investment you make can't be disrupted by others. <laughs> yes, yes. And that makes definitely a lot of sense. There's, definitely there's a, we, we actually uh, have one really key term called a co-party mode. So basically, if you think from like a law sandbox game, you take weeks and a couple of long hours to build the world that you can showcase to people. Mm-hmm. But co-party mode is actually a, a place people can build quickly entertainment, hang out area together, and they can socialize and chat and play together in that area. Mm-hmm. So it can be done in quickly, and then you mm-hmm. can buy friends, just drop them the link, and they will join the game immediately. Yeah, mm, That's cool. Yeah, like almost like deep link into that little that little node, that little area. Great. That's very cool. Very, very smart. Mm. Um, Okay, so can we talk for a second about cross-platform? Yes. Um, I think game is actually moving to not only kind of uh, like, this is mobile, this is console. Mm -hmm. We start seeing a lot of cross-platform. And definitely if we, when we are uh, anchoring the social generation, the behavior also is different. And my social generation that I'm sitting now, I want to reach out the virtual world or am I just, you know, walking around and then on the street and I want to do something quick. So we definitely want to provide that experience that everybody can access anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start with the mobile, but we will eventually uh, bridge out to, to other platform. Okay. Of course, the purpose of that uh, user experience will be different. And also, uh, but the, the, the good thing is uh, whatever people create this kind of virtual market, it's globally shared. Uh, it's also uh, very interesting to see how people found different platforms and create different contents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that, you know, where you were to eventually launch on PC or something like mm-hmm. that, it, you might see sort of more sophisticated castles being created on PC just because mm-hmm. of the nature of the way people mm-hmm. play mouse and keyboard and the kind of time investment. Um, I could absolutely see that. Are yeah. you Are you um, thinking about already some of the uh so in in some places i think um you're right like there is this convergence right like the mm-hmm. the sort of the platform holders continue to maintain their walled gardens but in some ways mm-hmm. it feels like fortnite kind of smushed those walls a little bit and the consumers mm-hmm. are now sort of adopting a little bit of this post platform mentality of well Clearly, it's technically possible that I should mm-hmm. be able to play where I want, when I want, with whom I want, because mm-hmm. I did it on Fortnite. So kind of mm-hmm. like, why can't I do that with every game? Are you? But it, so in some ways, there's convergences. And then in other ways, there are um, still behavioral differences, right? Yeah. There's still differences like on mobile, sort mm-hmm. of the business model, the in-game shop, the pay to progress mm-hmm. or pay to win mm-hmm. is is maybe a little bit more acceptable, a little bit more mm-hmm. ingrained in the culture. Mm-hmm. On console, there's a little bit more um, sort of uh, distaste or disdain sometimes towards mm-hmm. some of those business models. And, and, and when they do free-to-play, they usually move more towards sort of pure battle pass or purely cosmetic and kind of like mm-hmm. no, no, no pay to win. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that's an exaggeration. Like, obviously, some people are, are, are mixing and matching, but there is still, a, a, I guess, a little bit of broad strokes divide there. Mm-hmm. So do you guys, are you already thinking about some of the kind of business challenges that may or may not ar- arise in your, in your cross-platform or post-platform existence? Mm-hmm. Well, 
We currently don't have this kind of golden written answer for it, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of things that you you talk about is actually on the table, like we're kind of debating about because definitely the platform side, they all have different rules. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, we're really well aware of that we don't have to go there, but the platform side and also the experience of people and also what their expectation. I do think that the cross-platform strategy is not one-to-one porting, mm-hmm. but it's more thinking about the purpose, what player want to be. So mm-hmm. we do talk about the social gaming platform. So in our game that in the mobile space, maybe the experience much, much more like a party mode that you quick added, quick in, but then there will be a lot of different, more PC, more you're sitting down, kind of building experience, but you spend a lot more time. Let's say if you and I, we build like a huge uh, amusement park, mm-hmm. we probably party on the mobile phone, mm-hmm. but we probably build it you know, this one. So yeah, I I do think that there will be a mapping about uh, what's our core of our Mm -hmm. game uh, because it's a social sandbox. So our social and sandbox is very important thesis to us. So how do we look at other platform to serve the need for that? Excellent. Yeah. And I'll just note that Mm -hmm. we went one hour talking Mm -hmm. about social persistent world MMO Mm -hmm avatar, digital representation, Mm -hmm. video games. Mm -hmm. And not once did we say the word meta first. Pretty impressive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think this is a interesting topic because when Galaxy investing us, yes, uh, they also say the same thing. Like at the end of our presentation, they're like, oh, "You're the only company that said about metaverse." And I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking when 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 we actually I I learn much more what people think about metaverse when this word become popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think before we only want to do kind of a creator space mm-hmm. that people can actually socializing there, and. I think too much, too often we spend too much time having this terminology um, yeah. and that kind of uh, limited how we think about things. So, sure. yeah. yeah. No, I think it's great that you, you have an identity, mm-hmm. you have a vision and whether or not the metaverse label is applied to it is, is secondary. There is a concept, yeah. there is an idea, mm-hmm. there are trends that existed mm-hmm outside of the current hotness of metaverse Mm -hmm. and absolutely you could say you are building something metaverse-y but it doesn't Mm -hmm. need it (laughs) it's fascinating on its own right actually in february we did a workshop so that Mm -hmm. workshop we have many different topics about like just kind of talking to our team where we come to this vision and there's one exercise i said that what's your impression of metaverse and the they cannot describe with words they need to drop picture Mm -hmm. And um, you can totally tell. And so at the end, the team was looking for one answer from me. What's definition of metaverse? I was like, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Yeah, That seems like a pretty good answer. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, uh, the thing is, everything you post here, it's definition of metaverse. It's Mm -hmm. about what is actually important for us. And it's more about how we create this virtual space for people that bring people together, entertaining together. Uh, I think that's kind of the baseline of the, yeah. Wonderful. Hmm. Well, that is a perfect closure. Um, thank you. Stella, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, again, yeah. you've been very generous and open about uh, what you're building. Uh, I learned mm-hmm. some stuff, and clearly I've been following what you guys are doing for six to nine months now. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was very um, uh, exciting for me to, to hear all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I wish you and your team all the success in the world. I think you're building something really exciting. 
And yeah. uh, and again, thank you for being on the on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And also, really appreciate you made the conversation so delightful. <laughs> <laughs> delightful. Thank you. I'll just yeah. I'll change the name of the podcast: Delightful Conversations <laughs> About Video Games with Ben yes. Mattis. <laughs> it's a it's a very sofa conversation. I really like it. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Have a Stella. nice day. Yeah. Bye. Bye. And that's it for another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Thank you, Stella, for your time. Thanks for your generosity, sharing your insight and the wisdom and everything you and your team have accrued and learned over the last five years working on these these exciting projects. I hope you, the listener, enjoyed this episode. If you did, please don't hesitate to share it with a friend. That's why we do it. We do it so people like you can maybe learn some stuff like us. Uh, if you have uh, interest in this kind of thing, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me in all sorts of places. I'm not hard to find. I'd love to hear from you. What do you think of the episode? What do you think about the guests we've had? Any thoughts about future guests? Any thoughts about future themes or trends you'd like us to explore? Uh, that kind of feedback makes this project all the more worthwhile. So I, I appreciate that feedback greatly. Uh, that's it. Have a wonderful day and until next time.